Hey everyone, welcome back to Here to Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Dr. Hugh Ross. We're going to talk about UFOs and are they demonic presence and all these really interesting questions. So Dr. Ross, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. So this is a really interesting topic to explore and it's the idea of like UFOs and UFO sightings and like is there a demonic presence and all these things. Um, but before we get into that stuff, could you just talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Well, I'm an astrophysicist. Uh, I got my doctoral degree in astronomy at the University of Toronto and did research on quasars and galaxies at Caltech. And uh, while I was at Caltech, I uh, got involved in uh, science apologetics and uh, founded uh, Reasons to Believe. I'm the president and founder of the Reasons to Believe, where, where we basically take new discoveries in the book of nature to bring people to the book of scripture and into a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Hmm. It's super interesting. And I think before we get into our topic today, Dr. Ross, some people may be like initially very skeptical of Christians and non-Christians alike of this idea of like UFOs being like um, maybe some supernatural entity or demonic presence or things like that. So how would you like kind of respond to that, like that initial skepticism entering a topic like this? Well, I began quite skeptical. I mean, uh, I had no real intention of pursuing the subject of UFOs, uh, but I was an amateur astronomer before I became a professional astronomer and was the director of observations for uh, the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada in uh, Vancouver. And I said, hey, uh, let's have an, a booth at the exhibition, the Pacific National Exhibition. Well, they put us right next to the or the Flying Saucer uh, uh, Club. So hmm. people would go to the Flying Saucer Club booth and then they'd come by and say, hey, what do you think? Uh, well, and and that was the beginning. That started when I was 16 years of age. And from that point onward, wherever I went, I became the guy that had to process the UFO reports. And about 99% of what people reported to me as UFOs, I could explain as a natural phenomena, military activity, or a hoax. Uh, but after doing that for a couple of years, I realized there's a 1% residual, which cannot be explained. And uh, that's what really got me interested in pursuing this in some depth. And I wound up a few years ago writing a book on the subject, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, uh, where I talk about this 1% residual uh, database. And what's interesting is that you can demonstrate that these are real phenomena, but they violate the laws of physics, which is why we drew the conclusion we're dealing with non-physical reality. And when I was at the University of Toronto, I briefly had Carl Sagan as a professor, and he was extremely dismissive of UFOs. Uh, but he had a worldview that didn't allow for the existence of non-physical reality. For him, all reality was a physical. So, sorry about that. <laughs> I got that uh, I'm muted now. Um, you know, he didn't believe in non-physical reality, but as a Christian, I did believe that indeed God has created uh, two kinds of intelligent life. We human beings that are constrained by the physics of the universe and angels that are not so constrained. And what I notice is that there's about 2,000 well-documented cases of these UFOs going through the atmosphere where you've got multiple observers that are able to track it. So you can actually determine the velocity of entry where they crash into the earth 
and they leave a crater. And what's interesting is when they go through the atmosphere, you can track that they're moving at velocities between 5,000 and 25,000 miles per hour. And yet none of the observers ever record a sonic boom or record seeing heat friction uh, behind the UFO. If it's a physical craft, you will get heat friction and you will get a sonic boom. And uh, we don't see that. And if you go to the crash site, there's no debris, there's no artifacts. If it was a physical object crashing the earth, there would be debris and there'd be artifacts. But we know it's real because you actually see a crater where the ground is depressed by as much as a foot. If there's snow, the snow in the crater area is melted and the vegetation is consistently damaged. So something real is happening, but it's not physical. It violates the laws of physics. And you actually see that in a lot of the new reports that have been coming out that the government has been released. Uh, you know, many of them can be explained as natural phenomena, like pieces of paint uh, being chipped off the aircraft. Uh, but there's other cases uh, where it falls in this category, something real, uh, but it's violating the laws of physics. For example, you see the object making a sharp right angle turn at 18,000 miles per hour. No physical object can withstand that G-force. And yet this is what we observe. Hmm. There's so much interesting stuff here. So when we're looking at this, Dr. Ross, like, could you maybe talk through like an example here when you talk about this 1% um, that can't be explained like naturalistically, like, can you give like a specific example here to kind of flesh this out of like showing like what this phenomena is? Yeah, people who, I mean, I'm not the only scientist who's written on this phenomena. I know of six physicists who've devoted at least 10 years to researching the UFO phenomena and have written books on the subject. Uh, probably the one that uh, was the earliest was the astronomer Alan Hynek. He was commissioned by the government to study this phenomena. And so he documented many of these non-physical and real incidents. The one who's done the most documentation on this is the French astrophysicist Jacques Vallée. Uh, he's still researching this and writing about this. And, uh, you know, I think I'm the only Christian in the group. But what you hear from Jacques Vallée, for example, is he says, we're dealing with something interdimensional. Uh, you know, he documents how it violates the laws of physics. He says, we're dealing with phenomena that's coming from dimensions uh, beyond the universe. And of course, that would well describe the angelic realm. And it was Alan Hynek uh, that coined the term close encounters. Close encounters of the first kind, which means a human uh, gets within 500 feet of the UFO incident. And he talked about the second kind, third kind, and now they talk about the fourth kind. Close encounter of the fourth kind is when the human contactee gets killed. The third kind is when there's actual communication going on uh, between uh, the so-called UFO being uh, and uh, the uh, human uh, contactee. But we document in our book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, the only people that have these close encounters are people with open doors to the occult uh, or witchcraft uh, or demonic activity. And uh, we basically close the book off by saying, if you repudiate uh, these experiences, that will be the end of your UFO encounters. 
at least the 1% of residual. And so we say our hypothesis is testable. And it's testable another way. What we notice is certain parts of the world, you see a much greater incidence of these encounters. Uh, so like France, uh, Equatorial Brazil, uh, and uh, Russia. I was in Russia in the late 1980s and early 1990s speaking on this subject and discovered that about 10 times as many Russians per capita were having these experiences compared to Americans. That was also an era when the Soviet government was sponsoring research in occult physics. So especially among the scientists, I encountered a lot of people uh, that had these close encounters. And they were the ones who were able to document to me a phenomena that were clearly real, uh, but not physical. What's interesting in Russia today, the number of incidences have plummeted. And that's because there's a significant drop in the proportion of the population involved in the occult. And to a lesser degree, we see the same correlation here in the United States. When I speak on these subjects in Hawaii, and uh, Alaska, for example, I run into a lot more people that have had these encounters uh, than when I speak, for example, in Massachusetts or Texas. But as well known, a larger percentage of Hawaiians and Alaskans are involved in the occult. So, mm. and what's interesting, when I look at these other physicists who are not Christians, they agree with me that there's a one-to-one -one correlation between what we see in this 1% UFO residual and what we see in witchcraft and demonology and the occult. This is so interesting. And I'm curious, like Dr. Ross, just to try to, as we've been talking about this idea of like, just like building the case that there might be something like supernatural going on here. Um, what else would you say with regards to like, is there anything else with regards to like showing that there's some validity to like this idea of there being some sort of supernatural element, so to speak, with regards to the UFO sightings? Because I think like, for a lot of people, like it's, it can be very hard to try to like understand this at first because you know there's a lot of what we're told in culture about what's going on here. Um, so yeah, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, I think where you can get some insight is when you talk to people who've had close encounters of the third kind, you know, where they claim to be visited and had conversations uh, with these so-called UFO beings. And here uh, in the U.S. and around the world, you've got UFO cults, UFO religions. And in some of these close encounters of the third kind, the human contactee goes into a trance. And while they're in that trance, they wind up writing. And so they go into what's called automatic writing, where they really don't know what they're writing, but they're under the control of uh, some interdimensional being. And the international interdimensional being has them uh, write what they want to write. A good example of that is the Arantia book. Uh, it's in some editions more than 4,000 pages long. And if you read that book, about a third of the content is denying the deity of Jesus Christ. So it's showing you that there's a deceptive motivation uh, behind these uh, close uh, encounters. And moreover, uh, the stories change. I mean, what I find interesting is that they're keeping pace with human technology and human knowledge. So for example, the UFOs uh, back in 1900 were slow moving dirigibles in the atmosphere. 
a little bit better than the dirigibles that we humans had. World War II, it was the Foo Fighters. Uh, pilots were reporting seeing uh, these strange craft uh, moving at the speed of sound, a little bit faster than their aircraft. Uh, and then uh, you had them moving at 10,000 miles per hour. Now people are recording them moving at 25,000 uh, miles per hour. And then with the close encounters, the stories evolve. I mean, these encounters have been going on for thousands of years. Uh, but what's happening, for example, in the 1800s, these UFO beings would say, uh, well, we're from the backside of the moon. But when the general public became aware uh, that life is not possible on the backside of the moon, they changed their story and said, well, we're from Venus. And when people realize how hot it is on the surface of Venus, they said they were from Mars. Now the story you're getting uh, in these encounters were from a distant planetary system. And that's why I put a chapter in Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men making the point that it's physically impossible for beings any larger than the size of a termite to be able to traverse interstellar space without being killed, regardless of technology. Technology doesn't make any difference. There's simply no way that you can protect, pr protect beings our size if you're intent on trying to cross interstellar space. And then I know a number of astronomers, many of them are friends of mine that are involved in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence signals and that they publish papers in the astronomical literature basically saying we can guarantee there's nothing intelligent within 300 light years. Well, that means if you're going to claim that these are beings from another planetary system, they must have somehow traversed at least 300 light years. And uh, you cannot traverse interstellar space at greater than 1% the velocity of light. If you do, you'll be killed. Uh, and, you know, it is relatively empty, but not completely empty. And so now you're looking at a minimum of 30,000 years for a one-way trip. And the problem with that is that exceeds the maximum lifespan of any conceivable technological uh, uh, species. So in that sense, we know they're not physical beings like that, us uh, coming from some other planetary system. Mm. This is super helpful, Dr. Ross, so thank you. And one of the things I'm curious about here is Let's look at this idea of like, how do you explain these encounters, Dr. Ross? Um, you talked about, you're like, you're the only Christian as far as you know of um, that has like actually like looked at this like UFO phenomenon. Like you've talked about other like atheist agnostics that have. Um, so like, how do you explain these encounters? Maybe like, why do you think um, your view may be preferable to like some other like alternative explanation? Well, you got people like Jacques Vallée says we must be dealing with interdimensional beings. Well, the Bible explicitly describes uh, that God indeed created. Uh, interdimensional beings, calls them angels. And we're told in the Bible that uh, about two-thirds of the angels are righteous and are actually intent on trying to assist God in his ministry here on earth. Uh, but a third are in rebellion and they're intent on opposing God's mission. And, these, and what we see in the UFO phenomena, the close encounters, we see deception uh, and we also see an intent uh, to dissuade people from becoming followers of Jesus Christ. The fact that a third of the content of the Orontia book is focused on denying the deity of Jesus Christ, I think tells us we're not dealing with the righteous angels, 
we're dealing uh, with the evil angels. And when you look at these close encounters, the best the human contactee comes away with in one of these encounters is recurring terrifying nightmares. You say, well, what's the worst case scenario? You get killed. People have been injured. They've been killed. Their animals have been killed. Uh, but the encounters are 100% harmful. Uh, and I say that because a lot of people tell me, I agree with you, we're dealing with angelic phenomena, uh, but they think they're dealing with the righteous angels. 100% of the database tells us, no, we're dealing something that's intent on deceiving us and harming us. Hmm. I'm curious then, Dr. Ross, at this point, um, obviously, like with your view, like we're looking at potentially like demonic powers, like, but some people may be worried here that like that isn't necessarily what is occurring. So say that like someone um, may just like, have this idea that maybe these encounters like aren't of like a demon or something like that, but maybe it's just some sort of like something that they just attribute to like a demon. Uh, maybe they just have this encounter. They don't really know what it is. So it's like, Oh, it must be a demon or some sort of like supernatural entity, but we really just, we don't know. Um, so like, how would you respond to this kind of pushback? Well, I mentioned that, uh, you know, I took a course from Carl Sagan and uh, he, he was very dismissive of UFOs and that was his explanation. He says, these people aren't having encounters. They're having hallucinations. Uh, they're having these, uh, you know, psychologically induced dreams and visions. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this is Carl Sagan's response to this phenomena is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. And I think the counter to that is we know we're dealing with something physical because, you know, look at these crash sites. I mean, something caused the crater, something melted the snow something damaged the vegetation. And moreover, uh, if it's just dreams and hallucinations, why are people being killed? Why are their animals being killed? Why are they being injured? You know, it takes something physical to bring about injury and death. And what's interesting too, it's always the animals uh, that are in a bonded emotional relationship with the human contactee. Uh, so it's their pet dog, uh, it might be the cow uh, that they have in the field uh, or a horse. These are the creatures uh, that are being damaged. So I'm curious then, Dr. Ross, can you talk about maybe some of the experiences that you've investigated that um, like credence to like what you've just kind of argued for here? So like maybe like something that you could talk about, maybe it's in like one of your books or people could look up and find some other documentation uh, that kind of lays credence towards like your kind of view of what's going on with regards to these UFO sightings. Well, it's rare that uh, you run into uh, experiences where you got multiple observers. I mean, most often I'm talking to somebody who's had one of these scary encounters, uh, but I can't get enough information out of them to actually determine the trajectory through the atmosphere or the velocity at which it's moving. Uh, and rarely do you have a crash site or anything like that. Uh, but what I do is I ask a lot of questions. You know, have you been involved in the occult? And I found Americans are rather ignorant about the occult. They'll say, oh, no, no, I've never been involved in anything occultic. I've avoided witchcraft. So I wound up going through a checklist saying, well, have you ever been to a seance? Uh, or have you ever played with a Ouija board? Or have you engaged in astrology? And they said, oh, yeah, I've done those things. Uh, or, you know, do you have a grandfather uh, that practices these kinds of activities? They'll say, no, but my mother did. And uh, we need to realize 
often the demons will work through a close relative to get to us. And I find it interesting that when King David took the throne, he confessed the sins of his parents in order that the demonic uh, creatures would not be able to use him uh, to attack the Israelite nation. And so what I do with these people is say, look, number one, stop all this occult stuff that you're involved in. And uh, sometimes it's just a possession of an article. Uh, I ran into this uh, one guy and he said, I got nothing. And he, and he went down the checklist that I've done none of that. But I found out that there was occultic items, artwork at his home. They weren't his, but they were left behind by the previous owner. So I said, you know, let's destroy those items. We destroyed those items. And that was the end of his UFO encounters. So to me, that's kind of what I'm involved in. It's helping people being delivered uh, from these uh, UFO encounters, basically helping them to put aside the occult and basically say, hey, if it's a close relative, if you agree with God in prayer that what they're doing is displeasing to him, that will cut the link between that relative and you. It will cut the link uh, from that relative to your family. And so confessing the sins of your close relatives is key and making sure that your life is uh, free of all this. And, you know, people tell me, wow, it worked. I'm having none of these encounters have happened. I'm no longer having these terrifying nightmares anymore. It really works. But the opposite is also true. If someone begins to involve themselves in the occult and in seances and in witchcraft, it's only a matter of time before they have one of these encounters. Hmm. That's super interesting, Dr. Ross. So do you have any like recommended like resources you could point people towards that are like interested in like investigating uh, this kind of phenomena that would maybe like an, arg like, an argument that first, maybe there's something supernatural going on here. Um, we can't just be talking about mere like hallucinations. Like there has to be like tangible things. And also with regards to like making like your kind of arguments that this is like the demonic presence. Sure. Well, number one, there's our book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. Uh, actually, there's three of us. I wrote most of the book, but I had two co-authors, one who is an expert in UFO religious cults and the other one who's a national security expert. Because, of course, a lot of the questions are what's going on at Area 51? What's happening at Roswell? And so uh, Dr. Mark Clark, our national security expert, he explains uh, that the U.S. Uh, you know, government security system simply is not up to the task of covering up the bodies of UFO beings uh, outside of Roswell uh, for a 70-year period. He you know, uses the example of Richard Nixon trying to cover up 11 minutes on an audio tape. And he said he was only able to cover it up for a few days. And likewise, it says even the Soviet security system is not up to covering this stuff up. And he says, notice this, there's been no physical evidence that you can put in a museum coming out of any of these places like Area 51 uh, or Roswell. The Russians can't produce anything. The French can't. The Americans can't. We're not dealing uh, with a physical phenomenon. So there's that book. And by the way, anyone can get a free chapter of that book simply by going to reasons.org slash Ross. And uh, also, we realize a lot of people don't like to read. So we produced a documentary 
called the RUFO hypothesis. And uh, when you look at that documentary, you think you're actually seeing a real UFO encounter, uh, but hey, no, we just staged it all. Uh, but it actually looks like a real UFO encounter. But what we did is we researched uh, the encounters that have been documented, and uh, then uh, we duplicated it on film. But we also interviewed a lot of experts on UFOs uh, in that uh, documentary. Hmm. That's so interesting, Dr. Ross. So I'm curious then, what would your advice be to like Christians who uh, like how to respond to when the discussion of like UFOs or extraterrestrials arise? Because there's obviously a lot here with like popular culture. And there's also like these like evidences and arguments we have to deal with here. Um, so like, how would you deal with this? Well, it depends where you are. I mean, when I was speaking on this subject in the Soviet Union, uh, I didn't have to convince people uh, that this was something supernatural. Uh, they were seeing it all over the place. What they wanted was help how to get, and they knew it was a terrifying thing. They wanted deliverance. Here in America, though, I have to persuade people that this phenomenon is real because, you know, not that many people are having these encounters. Uh, and so uh, basically making the point, and I got a chapter in the book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, saying, we can prove scientifically that the supernatural is real. We got the space-time theorems in physics, for example, that establish that space and time are created, which implies there must be a being beyond space and time that created our universe. So just making the point, the universe is not the totality of reality. There's reality beyond the universe. And in that case, when we see these kinds of phenomena, we need not be closed-minded and thinking like Carl Sagan does, hey, if it's not physical, it's not real. No, we now have the physics that proves that non-physical reality is out there. So being open-minded to that and uh, you know, recognizing that there is an angelic realm. And uh, you know, I find that uh, Satan's got two strategies. He tries to terrify people with how powerful he is and how they have to submit to him, or he tries to convince people that he doesn't exist and that his demons, his fallen angels that are allied with him, uh, don't exist. So I find here in the US, my challenge is trying to persuade people, hey, we're not the only intelligent beings uh, that exist. God created another species and uh, this species is real. And uh, you know, as far as uh, Christians are concerned, we have that passage in Hebrews 13, 2, many of you have entertained angels unawares, and it's referring to the righteous angels. So I like to share with people, look, when it comes to the angelic realm, it's not just the evil angels that are at work. God also has his righteous angels. And basically we're told that God will send these angels to assist those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ in their ministry. If you want a good example of that, read the book of Acts. The book of Acts, it documents cases where God sent angels to assist the apostles in their ministry. And if you read all the way to the end of the book of Acts, you notice there's no conclusion. It just ends mid-sentence, basically implying this is the beginning of the Acts. Acts will continue. And I personally have had experiences in my ministries around the world where I know God must have sent an angel because there's no other way to explain uh, what happened 
uh, in the encounter. And I actually document some of that in a book that I wrote called Always Be Ready. And basically makes the point, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got Peter telling you, always be prepared, always be ready to give good reasons for the faith and hope you have in Jesus Christ with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. And I wrote always be ready to make the point, if you will prepare good reasons for your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you're prepared to deliver those reasons with gentleness and respect, you will see God doing supernatural things to bring people he's prepared in advance to hear and respond uh, to your good reasons, even to the point of sending angels if necessary. And what I've noticed is that people that dedicated a decade or more uh, to that, they have stories just like mine, uh, where they say, hey, I know that God sent an angel here because there is no other explanation for what happened. Hmm. It's so interesting here, Dr. Ross. I have one more question for you, and then we'll go to a little bit of Q&A. So if people listening have like pushback or questions, uh, feel free to put those in, and we'll get to those in just a moment. And I mean, I think we've covered this, but it's just helpful to go through it again. Like, So how do you think UFOs provide ev- evidence for a supernatural aspect of reality? Um, maybe just go over again, like why you think that they show that there must be something beyond like the natural realm with regards to what's going on here. Yeah, to me, the clearest evidence are the crash sites, where you've got multiple observers tracking the motion of the craft through the atmosphere. And uh, you know it's, it's clear that you're seeing something real happening because after all, you got the crater, uh, you got the damaged vegetation, uh, and yet no sonic boom, no heat friction, and you go to the site, there's no debris. No one's ever been able to recover any artifacts or debris from the websites or from the crash sites. Whereas, you know, if a, an aircraft crashes into the earth, every single case, when an aircraft crashes into the earth, a physical craft, there's always debris and artifacts at the website, or, or not the website, the crash site, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Thanks, Dr. Ross. Um, so we'll go to a couple questions here to wrap things up. Um, Susan says, how do you spell that French guy's last name? Um, I think you're talking in the beginning with regards to the person you were working with. Yeah, Jacques Vallée, and it's V-A-L-L-E-E. And uh, by the way, there are two Jacques Vallées. Both of them are astrophysicists. Uh, One of them uh, was a fellow I went to graduate school with at uh, the University of uh, Toronto. He's never been involved in UFO uh, research. Uh, His focus is on stellar physics. Uh, And, uh, you know, he got his degree from the University of Toronto and Jacques Vallée is a French astrophysicist. So he's trained in uh, France and he's devoted to oh, going on to 50 years of research on the UFO phenomena. He's the one that has studied it more than anyone else on the planet today. Hmm. That's super interesting. Uh, we have a comment here from Caitlin, which might be helpful for clarification. So this is looking at the idea of like maybe UFO um, representation, maybe we're just a product of our culture. So look at say like 100% of people who speak in tongues believe in the Christian God. Um, so maybe UFO settings have more to do with our culture and like our background beliefs versus which is like actually like corresponding to reality. Uh, so maybe looking at this kind of important kind of question with regards to why you think that maybe like a demonic counter is actually what's happening versus just like maybe what someone believes is what's happening. Yeah, well, this is not a localized phenomena. People report these UFO encounters all over the world. 
And we're not looking at just a handful of uh, sightings. It's in the tens of millions. So it's a huge database. And as far as the crash sites go, it's now over 2,000 uh, documented cases where that has happened. Uh, the one thing we do notice is that uh, the percentage of the local population that reports these encounters is strongly correlated with the percentage of the population that is involved in the occult and the witchcraft and the demonic activity. So that seems to be the one, and it's worldwide. It doesn't matter where you go, you see that uh, same uh, correlation. So that's why I think we really are dealing uh, with something of a demonic nature. Hmm. Um, Caitlin also just asked to clarify, where can this database be accessed? Well, Jacques Vallée is the one uh, who has written most extensively on it. And the governments around the world have a huge doc. So for example, just a few months ago, our United States government uh, released a lot of classified information on UFOs. They released a bunch uh, decades ago, but now they've released a lot more. And uh, many governments around the world followed suit and said, hey, we're going to release our classified database too. So the lack of data is not the problem. The problem is actually researching the voluminous data that's out there. You know, this is why, for example, you had people like uh, Alan Hynek literally spending years going over all the documented data and trying to figure, okay, what's going on here? So would you say then, Dr. Ross, like there's a lot still more to be researched here where we have a lot of like maybe like government documents and whatnot that just like people really haven't gotten their hands on to really do like the proper due diligence of like trying to explain what's going on. So like with regards to like these UFOs, like there's a lot of like open questions with regards to like how many people actually have had these experiences and like what these experiences actually are. Well, one of the things I wrote about in Lights and Sky and Little Green Men is that when you look at this UFO database, you see these strange situations where the human sees the UFO, uh, but someone with a camera and nothing shows up on the, on the camera. Uh, or they get a radar bounce, but there's no visual sighting. Uh, what's interesting about the latest data release from the U.S. government, they document cases where you do have confirmed sightings, uh, where it shows up on camera and it also shows up as a radar blip, or they get an infrared signal and they get a visual signal. However, there's still the problem that you find missing data uh, where the human sees it, the instruments don't. Uh, but yeah, uh, what they used to talk about in the UFO literature is that you'll get one confirmed sighting, uh, but not multiple. Well, now we know you really can get multiple. Uh, but if it's a real physical uh, phenomena uh, constrained by the laws of physics of the universe, you're going to see it with all instruments. And that seems to be something that's a problem with these UFO encounters. Some of the instruments see it, but not all the instruments. And also, uh, you have to be careful in interpreting the data. I mean, a huge amount of what people reported me as uh, UFOs, I would say, well, uh, where were you when you saw the UFO? They said, well, I was outside my home. Uh, and it was pitch black and I saw this thing and I said, well, how long were you away from bright lights in your home? And they say, well, 10 minutes. Well, one thing that's well known is that the human eye will see bright lights for up to 20 minutes going from a bright place to a dark place. It takes 20 minutes for the human eyes to completely dark adapt. 
And as an astronomer, I see that happening all the time. You know, I'll go from, say, the control room out into this uh, dark uh, place, and I just realize, hey, my eyes are going to do tricks uh, for the first 20 minutes. So you learn uh, not to trust the first 20 minutes of the uh, encounter. I also ask people, hey, when you photograph that UFO, uh, was there a pane of glass uh, between you and uh, that cluster of UFOs on the horizon? They said, well, why do you ask? I said, well, there's a chandelier behind you. It's going to appear as a cluster of bright lights on the horizon. They said, oh, well, I guess that explains my UFO encounters. And probably one of the more humorous ones I got is uh, a highway patrol uh, called us uh, at at the observatory and said, uh, people reported a UFO. And uh, we got a couple of uh, uh, motorcycle police chasing the UFO. And they're telling us they're gaining on it. I say, well, tell us exactly what you're seeing. So they gave us all the details and we said, I don't think your motorcycle uh, policemen are going to catch up with the UFO because you're chasing the planet Venus. Hmm. And, uh, Hmm. you know, a lot of people have never seen Venus as a bright morning star. It's six to eight times brighter than when you see it in the evening. It can be so bright you can read a newspaper by it. And a lot of people reported Venus to me as a UFO. So that's why I say 99% uh, you can explain as a natural phenomena. Uh, And by the way, our military is doing things they don't want you to know about. Uh, I had an encounter when I was on a radio telescope. This was back in the late 1960s. And this very fast moving craft zoomed across the sky, stopped right over our telescope, and we were getting radio interference. And so we reported this to the US military and the Canadian military and they said, it's not us, it's not (laughs) us. And they said, well, if you guys don't stop your pilots from interfering with our observations, we're gonna contact the Ottawa newspapers. They said, don't do that, don't do that. We'll make sure it doesn't happen again. And what we learned a decade later is that they were experimenting uh, with fast moving jets that can stop and hover. You know, many uh, air forces today have these kinds of craft, but back in the 1960s, uh, the U.S. government and the British government were pretending they didn't have those craft when they really did. Hmm. Well, there's so much interesting stuff here, Dr. Ross. Thank you so much for your time and sharing and all your hard work and research in this topic. Is there any kind of like last thoughts or things you need to say before you, you before we, ugh, sorry, I can't talk before we wrap up here? Well, what I notice when I talk to people who've had these close encounters, where it's not in the 99%, is in the 1%, you can see that uh, they're very much afraid. There's a terror that comes over them. And what I try to do is assure them, look, uh, you don't have to be in bondage to this phenomenon. There's a way out. You can be set free and basically encouraging that, hey, you know, this is something supernatural that's happening in your life. I know it's scary. Things have happened to you, uh, but there's a way out and there's a way out that's rapid. You can be delivered from this literally overnight. And it's been my pleasure to see a lot of people uh, being delivered uh, from these scary experiences. But the trick is, you know, find a relationship with Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit is guiding and protecting you. These things cannot uh, attack you any longer. Uh, there is someone stronger than those fallen angels out there. 
That's super good. Well, thank you so much today, Dr. Ross, for coming on and sharing about your work. So grateful and I'm so amazed by this conversation. It's just amazing how much there is to learn about and think about and to really uh, worry about and try to understand, but knowing the sovereignty of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ is obviously helpful here. So you can check out Dr. Ross. There's a link down below and you can also check out the book Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men to see more on this topic. Uh, so many interesting questions worth exploring and hopefully to everyone listening, we just served a little bit in helping you and your journey and trying to understand truth. And if you enjoy our channel, I always encourage you to subscribe and leave a like and all that fun stuff. If you value our content, you consider becoming a member right now. You can join as a YouTube member for as little as a dollar a month. That helps a lot or become a patron. But Dr. Ross, one last time, thank you so much for joining. It's been so much fun. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a good one and God bless.